Thank you for joining the latest edition of the SAP Concur Conversations podcast series. So today we're going to be discussing budgeting tips and how organizations are turning to methods like zero-based budgeting to ensure they are spending wisely to help navigate this rapidly changing business landscape. My name is Alberto Herrera, and I am a senior value consultant on the value experience delivery team here at SAP Concur. Joining me today, we have two experts from Accenture who can speak to how companies are using these mindsets to transform culture, align priorities, and also like what role data and technologies are playing in this transformation. So Manoj, let's start with you. Can you just give a brief introduction? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely, Alberto. Thank you for hosting this podcast. My name is Manoj Das, a managing director in our human experience management practice of Accenture North America. And besides HXM practice, I also look after our uh, SAP Conquer travel and expense practice. And I've done this work in HR space been uh, for 21 plus years, uh, delivering large scale programs uh, in HR transformation, both in on-premise and cloud solutions. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Thank you. And James, uh, can you do a little introduction? Absolutely. James Portnoy, also with Accenture. I've been with Accenture for a little over 12 years. I'm part of our strategy and consulting practice, focusing on CFO and enterprise value, and have spent a considerable amount of time doing some shape or form of finance transformation. And I'm also part of our strategic cost management COE in the past, where we do a lot of uh, ZB or ZDX type implementations. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. Thank you both for being here. So happy to have you on. Uh, So with that, we have a lot of content to cover. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. So I think probably the best place to start is just going to be the basics, right? Just kind of budgeting 101. So why should companies be thinking not only about budgets, but the underlying process of how to budget? Why is that so important right now? Yeah, it's a great question, Alberto. And let me maybe take this one. I think, you know, if we just back up to the very basic principles of the budgeting, right, it's all about developing your annual operating plan and figuring out, you know, what your resource allocation is going to be for a given year. And there's, you know, a lot of different methods of budgeting, but ultimately that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, the reason why it's so important is, especially in, in modern times, is the business environment's changing so much, the markets are changing so much, there's a lot of volatility, there's a lot of black swan events. And so, you know, having a good process in place to really allocate your resources to where the world's going, where your business strategy is going, is really where, you know, the premise of budgeting really started and it's been refined, you know, over time. And so... How have companies traditionally approached budgets? I think we're going to discuss some some uh, newer technologies and approaches, but how is this traditionally approached? Sure. Yeah, I think when you when you talk to anyone who's worked in finance for a while, right? I think when you, when they hear the term traditional budgeting, you know, it's the typical process of going back and and looking at your last year's actuals and just making kind of a percentage based adjustment, right? Not necessarily really thinking through and starting from zero around where's the company heading in the next year? What are our strategic priorities? And therefore, you know, what are the, what are the optimal, what's the optimal resource allocation to really achieve, you know, that, that business strategy. Right. And, and with those traditional approaches, that's where you get that end of fiscal year rush to spend as much money as you can. So you don't lose it for next year kind of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the other shortcomings of the traditional budgeting approach is kind of what I mentioned before, right? The, the business environment is changing at a faster pace than it ever has. And so the assumption of, you know, whatever we spent last year is a good indicator for what should we, what we should be spending this year, you know, on a category by category basis doesn't necessarily hold true anymore. Right. I mean, the pandemic's a great example of that. If, if someone had budgeted, you know, a certain amount of PP and E in 2019 and use that as the basis for their 2020 estimate, right? I'm sure when they, when they did their budget to actuals variance, there's going to be a massive variance. And, you know, some things can't be foreseen, but that's really the premise behind maybe abandoning a traditional budgeting approach and going to something a little bit more dynamic and a little bit more forward and future, future looking. Absolutely. It seems like all these companies are looking for more agility in these processes and, and their approach to the market. And then so with the traditional budgeting, are there any specific considerations when it comes to the employee-initiated spend or travel budgets? Obviously, this is uh, top of mind for us here at SAP Concur. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from a traditional budgeting standpoint on the travel side, you know, it goes back to what I just talked about. A lot of times you'll look at what you spent in the prior year. And then, you know, you might get a challenge from your budget holder to, to see if you can drive some savings off of that. But again, it's usually done on a, you know, a percent reduction basis in a traditional budgeting um, process versus, you know, if you were to introduce, you know, something like a zero-based budget, the change becomes more of you're starting from zero, right? You don't start from last year and you really have to think through, what is the required travel based on where my business is heading for this year and, and justifying that spend through the ZBB process. So identifying those different needs in the, in your business makes a lot of sense. So I think that's the perfect transition to kind of go into this zero based budgeting. So just, you know, now that we have those basics down, let's just unwrap what ZBB is. So can you help define what ZBB is and explain that a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to uh, to take a crack at. It. I think you know the concept and the term of ZBB has a lot of different meaning and a lot of different connotations to a lot of different people. And so, if I break down just the the acronym of ZBB, right, it translates into zero based budgeting. And so, if we look at it purely from a budgeting process, you know, the concept of ZBB is kind of what I just alluded to. It's instead of starting from last year as your starting point to develop your budget you're really starting from scratch in certain you know, areas of spend like travel and meetings and, and those kinds of things. And you really, it's, it's a much more rigorous process where because you're starting from scratch, it really makes the budget holders and the employees think through what do they really need to spend in order to achieve the overarching business strategy. And one of the other concepts that usually is involved in zero-based budgeting is as you're budgeting from zero, you're really incorporating a lot of policies into your budget. Budgeting essentially is, is, is policy compliant, and it's a, it's a really good way to, um, to really you know, control your spend and, and really focus on what the business needs for the coming year. Interesting. So, so it sounds like you kind of touched on it a little bit, but can you elaborate on what kind of problems are companies trying to solve with zero-based budgeting? Yeah. Um, and, and I'd say, you know, people use zero-based budgeting for a number of different reasons. I think, you know, one of the primary reasons of adopting zero-based budgeting is to get your spend under control, right? If, if companies are, are looking to grow, but they feel like 
they're bogged down by their expenses or their expenses aren't necessarily supporting their growth initiatives. Um, that's really where it comes into play. Right. And, and so I think what people find is that they, they start with it thinking it's, it's more of a, a cost optimization exercise. And one of the things I really like to demystify is it's not a cost cutting exercise. It really is about cost allocation. And so you might be reducing spend in some areas of, uh, in some certain categories, but that doesn't mean you're taking all of that to the bottom line. You might just be reallocating it that, uh, towards a different category of spend that's more in line with your business strategy and growth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So instead of that traditional approach of just basically slashing a little bit from everywhere, it's looking at, all right, where's, where are my resources going to get the biggest bang for our buck kind of thing, right? Absolutely. That's, that's 100% um, the concept behind it. And are there specific organizations that this appeals to, or is this kind of an across the board kind of thing? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I think based on, you know, Accenture's experience and, you know, we, we do a lot of this work in a lot of different industries with a lot of different clients. And I'd say there's a spectrum in terms of, you know, zero based concepts that different organizations adopt. And so some, some companies use it as a, you know, an aggressive cost cutting tool while other organizations just use it as a way to get better visibility and, and be a little bit more granular in terms of how they do their financial planning and allocate their resources. And, and so uh, I want to make sure that we touch on this because I know we're going to mention it a little bit later on in the conversation, but so focused on this overview as EBB, we have this concept of dual cost ownership. So what is that and, and why is that important in terms of zero-based budgeting approach? Yeah. So a lot of companies who adopt zero-based budgeting from a budgeting process technique will also take a look at the governance over their budgeting process and introduce, as you said, this concept of dual cost ownership. So if we think about traditional budgeting, you know, your budget holders kind of own their full, their full P&L and they had the liberty to really, you know, move dollars around into different buckets as long as they, you know, hit their bottom line spend and are in line with plan. The introduction of dual cost ownership essentially introduces almost like a horizontal owner of a budget that looks at a specific category of spend. So I'll take travel as an example. You might have a global travel category owner who's part of the budgeting process and works with the individual budget holders to ensure that he's really challenging them to budget from zero and make sure that they're really allocating, you know, only the dollars they really need to hit their, their overarching strategy. And so what that does is it really drives standards and consistency around policy adoption and policy compliance across different areas of the organization. And especially in global companies, where you have you know, a lot of different business units and working in a lot, in a lot of different regions, having this concept of a, of a global cost owner or even a regional cost owner to drive these standards is, is a way to really normalize spend across the organization and where you might find you know, little pockets of savings in each cost center, each budget holder, when you add those all up across the organization and drive that through a dual cost ownership structure, it can actually result in really significant savings. And we've seen those, you know, materialize across our clients a lot. So when we talk about that dual cost ownership, it sounds like it's a way for accountability, but also a way to get some buy-in from some leadership and some managers that are managing these budgets, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and we might start touching on kind of the change management approach a little bit later, but that's absolutely, you know, one of the bigger benefits of of the dual cost ownership structure. A lot of times you'll actually put pretty senior folks in to these dual cost owner roles or global cost package owner roles. And it's a way to really demonstrate that the organization is serious about adopting this new budgeting process or this new culture of cost consciousness. So is that a really time-consuming task for some of these senior leadership that are at that level and, and having to improve at that dual cost? Yeah, I think, you know, I'd say it's in the in the short term, as you're as you're really standing up these programs, um, it does take some time, right? You you have to onboard them. You have to explain the concept of dual cost ownership, and you have to explain what their roles and responsibilities are. And there's obviously a change adoption approach in terms of getting them comfortable with their role and getting them integrated into the budget cycle and having them go through a, a couple cycles. So I'd say upfront, there's a little bit of extra work. You know, as companies continuously repeat this process, it really just gets embedded in their DNA and, and, it, and it just becomes kind of part of business as usual. Absolutely. So let's elaborate on some other pros for zero-based budgeting. So there's a concept of optimizing cost, not just budgets, right? So how does that help? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, again, it goes back to some of the concepts we talked about before. So I think the number one benefit you know, of going through a zero-based budgeting process is what I already kind of mentioned, which is really optimizing your resource allocation to where the business is going and, and where the business strategy is leading the company. I think secondly, because you're budgeting at a, a more granular level and you're putting a lot more rigor into the process, you know, once you're done with the budget, it's set, right? But then you're going to be adjusting and, and things happen throughout the year because you've planned at such a detail level, things come up throughout the year. What it really gives you is flexibility to make changes on the fly as you're going through the year and, and still kind of hit those, those budget targets, you know, as things happen across the business. So I think one is, again, it's, it's maximizing that resource allocation against strategy. And two is the agility and flexibility it gives you to make changes, you know, throughout the year as things happen in the business. Yeah, so I, I would assume that the companies that had already uh, implemented a zero-based budgeting approach before you know, March of 2020 probably fared a little bit better in those preceding months, right? Yeah, I think you know, obviously having your budget outlined at a granular level could only have been a beneficiary. I think those who also had not only the budgeting um, process nailed down, but really good ongoing, what we call control and monitoring or just ongoing visibility and reporting. Those who have kind of that near real time, you know, information at a granular level, easy to access, are able to really react a lot faster and understand what the levers they have to pull because they planned at such a detail level. And then so building off of what you spoke about earlier about just some of the the human intense resources that are required at the beginning setup stage or, you know, that granularity of data that's needed, are those some of the larger barriers to uh, this process? And, and how do some of these clients ever overcome those? Yeah, I think, and, and I kind of, I, I mentioned this earlier too, I think, Absolutely. You know, if you haven't done the process before and it's a completely new concept, there is a change adoption curve that com that every single company um, needs to get on, right? Anybody who's used to doing things a certain way, 
if you completely transform that and have a completely new process to put in place that's way more granular, requires way more effort, there's going to be a learning curve and a little bit of pain and noise up front. What we've seen, though, is those who stick with it, right, and really have that sponsorship at the top of we want to be a cost-conscious culture, after they go through a couple cycles, again, it just becomes kind of business as usual and the norm. And it becomes a lot easier once you kind of get comfortable with what the process looks like, how you do it, the different kinds of driver, uh, the different kind of driver-based models you would use for different kinds of categories of spend. And it just becomes kind of second nature to companies. And so also you had touched on some of these misconceptions around zero-based budgeting. And I want to focus on the management technique versus the budget cutting process, right? I think a lot of people see this as just a way to slash budgets, right? It's another excuse to slash budgets, you know, start at zero kind of thing. But but it really is more of a of a management technique. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was always, it's always one of the first things we talk about in terms of demystifying ZVB, right? It's not about cost cutting just for the sake of cost cutting. Usually the end result is you do generate savings out of doing this process, but you do that by really getting to that granular visibility of what is currently going on, identifying, you know, savings initiatives around policy compliance around vendor rationalization and building all of those into your budget to really optimize your cost towards where your company is going. So we talk about it as a management technique. It's a management technique to actually get your organization to allocate your resources to the business strategy versus just saying, we're going to do this to go after and cut costs when the end result might actually have a negative impact on the top line of the company. Absolutely. So I think that really speaks to the that transformation of culture that we mentioned in the beginning, right? So this ZBB approach, the intent is really to transform that culture, to have all of the people in the chain look at the, the resources that are required to do their jobs effectively, and then determine, all right, where are these resources going to be most effective? Whereas you have these, these cost-cutting initiatives that a lot of the ones that I've seen implemented throughout the years, right? That you get a really nice return in that first year or something like that, right? Year, year and a half. And then a lot of that cost just bubbles back up in different ways. Yeah. So it's a great observation and absolutely something that we see uh, across a lot of our clients who go through uh, what I'll say kind of cut to the bone type cost cutting exercises you know, without really thinking through, is this a sustainable solution? And so I think, you know, again, one of those demystifications around ZBB or zero-based management being more of a management technique than just a budgeting process is exactly that. Because we see the ZBB process as being something that's sustainable and a way to continuously evaluate your spend and move those dollars around every single year based on where that company is going. And, and I, yeah. And I think sustainability is the key word there. I know that Accenture performed some, this analysis on, I think it was on some publicly traded M and E companies where they found that the cost cutting initiatives that they had implemented, implemented, they saw an initial positive impact, but it reverted below prior profit levels, I think within like two years or something like that. So they got that initial little bump and then within two years, it was completely gone. And I, and I think that was something that you all had uh, published on your site. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that we see a lot of the time is, you know, they'll treat this as a one-time project, right? Mm -hmm. And you'll go through the rigor of understanding who spends how much on what. You'll go through the rigor of identifying a number of savings initiatives. You'll go through the zero-based budgeting process and bake those initiatives into your budget. And that's where sometimes they'll stop. And then when you when you kind of take your foot off, off the gas and, and don't pay attention to the ongoing visibility and the ongoing reporting and control and monitoring and the ongoing continuous identification of initiatives, that's where a lot of the times we'll see, you know, some of those savings start creeping back into the PL because they treat it as a one-time exercise versus treating it as a true cultural shift to being a cost-conscious culture and starting to really think through how they spend and say, I'm going to spend my company dollars as if they were my own. And I think one of the easy way out for some of these cost-cutting measures, right, is that they can kind of piece it together. They can say, all right, we're going to cut the travel budget by X percent, or we're going to cut the, this other procurement budget by X percent. Can a similar practice be used for ZBB? Can you piece ZBB into places or is it an all or nothing kind of thing? Oh yeah. Great question. It's an absolute spectrum, right? And so there's, there's different, even within zero based budgeting, there's different budgeting techniques that you can take and you might apply different techniques or, you know, different levels of initiatives on different categories of spend. And so that we talk about a spectrum too, because there's certain companies who really do need what we call fuel for growth, right? They really do need to look at the entire spend, you know, entire taxonomy and look at all categories of spend and, and, and try to incorporate zero-based budgeting concepts into as many of those as they can. Other companies will take more of a hybrid approach and they might say, you know, we're going to apply ZBB principles to a set of categories of spend, like the travel and meetings and, um, and, go, and go down that route. So it's absolutely flexible. It, it can, you can, like I said, it's a methodology and it's a technique and you can apply it to a, to a number of different examples. Um, and you don't, there's no one size fits all um, answer to this. Do some companies use that as kind of like a buy-in technique to kind of like piloting certain areas of it and then rolling it out to, to other areas of the organization? Yeah, absolutely. We've definitely seen that where you might start with a couple categories and say, let's go prove this out. And they see the results that come out of that. And then they expand mm -hmm. it into, into future categories. Absolutely. We've seen that happen. Excellent. And so uh, we had talked about uh, ZBB and, and how companies who implemented it before the uh, pandemic probably fared a little bit better, but why should companies now start to think about ZBB as they prepare to engage a recovery strategy? I think more important than ever, right? We're in this, what people are calling the new normal. And, and I think we're still trying to understand what that new normal is. And it's a fluid situation, right? I mean, every single week we've got new guidance from the CDC that could be impacting our return to work policies or our PP&E policies. And so I think, you know, doing the zero-based budgeting process and, and trying, to, trying to get down to that level of rigor, could, it's going to be really valuable for, for the recovery process because things are going to change. And so having that granular visibility and knowing where the levers are to pull when things do change is going to be incredibly valuable. So I think it's, it's absolutely something that 
you know, other companies who haven't adopted it should, should take a close look at it to, to have that flexibility and agility throughout the year as things are changing. Right. We have seen that huge shift in this employee initiated spend, right? When you think of the COVID work from home uh, expenses that came along with that, right? We were seeing new expense categories, uh, you know, and, and different things like that. So with that work from home, we've seen this dramatic increase in overuse or even misuse of miscellaneous and other expense types, right? So how does that impact the financial forecasting when you see more and more things being put in these large gray buckets? Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, other and miscellaneous, we see, you know, issues in terms of visibility and getting visibility to spend both in your T&E systems, like a concur where you give, you know, employees the option to hit those other and miscellaneous, as well as in, even in your general ledger, you're going to have ledger accounts that have kind of that, you know, miscellaneous and other designation to it, you know, when we go through this process, we in, in as part of budgeting, we don't only look at the budgeting process. You know, the other thing we really look to do as part of this, you know, cost-conscious culture build is create ongoing visibility control and monitoring. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll take a look at the ledger, we'll take a look at your TE system and look at your categories of spend and do the best to normalize your spend taxonomy. And when you start coding expenses, whether it's in your ledger in your T&E system, having a home for every kind of spend, at least on the indirect side, that's going to come through and, and really trying to minimize the use of that other and miscellaneous. And, you know, unforeseen things happen like the pandemic, um, where new categories of spend that you never even thought of creep up. But I think that's really where a tool like Concur and the flexibility and ease of adding, you know, a new category and, and connecting it into your ledger is pretty useful. It's, you know, you can do it incredibly fast and, and start getting visibility to those new categories to spend in an incredibly fast way. Yeah. With, with those tools that are, you know, highly configurable, like Concur, we did see, you know, clients coming up with just really unique ways to handle these new business challenges. Uh, you know, they really rose to the occasion and they were able to track all of this spend that would have, you know, just gone into those big gray barrels, uh, you know, and just gone off into the ether. So, yeah. And I can't even, you know, on the surface, it might not even seem, you know, super material, but even just having that metadata that sits in your in your TNE system around who's buying the PPE equipment and what kind of work from home equipment are they buying, it can be really useful um, from a workforce planning standpoint and the return to work planning standpoint to understand what kind of real estate are we going to need and and what are the trends we're seeing across the organization in terms of you know what we should be budgeting for you know going forward. So I think with that, let's go into kind of the process and technologies that are required to implement a solution like ZBB, right? So, so just kind of high level of what kind of technologies are, are useful to gather these data points? And then what does that process look of setting up uh, something like this in, in an organization? Sure. So... You know, I, again, I'll go back to there's a spectrum of ways to do it. But, you know, the way we've traditionally approached implementing a ZBB type program, it actually starts before the budgeting process. So usually the first thing we want to do is establish our baseline of spend, right? And we call that visibility at Accenture. It's really understanding who spends how much on what. 
right? And so establishing that baseline, we, we look at the ledger, we'll look at accounts payable data, we'll look at purchase order data, we'll look at T&E data to essentially, you know, refine and do a forensic analysis on the general ledger and, you know, essentially restate, you know, 12 months of spend to establish a baseline. Then what we do is we use that and then assess policies. We assess, um, you know, how many vendors are being used and essentially develop a series of um, what we call savings initiatives or value targeting initiatives where we believe there's further opportunity for better cost allocation across the enterprise. And then we might move into um, the, the governance setup. We talked about the concept of dual cost ownership. And before you even want to go into your zero-based budgeting process, you know, if you're going to go with that concept of dual cost ownership, you want to identify who those cost category owners are going to be, onboard them, explain what the ZBB process is going to look like. Um, and only then do you actually get to the actual zero-based budgeting process that we've talked about um, you know, on this podcast so far. And that's where we start really ironing out and baking in and timing those savings initiatives that we identified and locking them into the budgets. And that's one of the biggest reasons that we see a lot of PL benefit coming out of this process because you're actually locking those savings initiatives into the budget and trying to hold your budget holders accountable to them. And to add from technology perspective, Alberto, um, you asked what kind of technology required. James talked about the process. Obviously, you need a system that can hold the budget information, right? That's your financial system. And then you need all the system that will provide necessary input, uh, either in the form of the spend, such as Ariba from procurement perspective or a system like uh, SAP Concord from travel and expense perspective and some other information that are required to connect together, such as employee data information, such as HR system. Uh, so those are the systems that are required. And if the companies have uh, other expense they need to track, such as real estate system that will track the cost that comes along with it, all the inputs need to be tracked somewhere. And those systems will provide the input ultimately to go to the finance system where the budget information will be held and uh, and reporting will be done uh, to understand the variation from those in the budget and to then do further analysis to understand uh, where things are not going according to the plans. So those are technology components that are required. Right. And so it sounds like you're kind of going into that control and monitoring phase, right? So you're saying, hey, these are all the systems that are required to gather these data points in order to be able to go into that control and monitoring phase to make sure that all of those policies that you set up previously are being, you know, followed and, and, and things like that. That's right. Right. You know, I think the, when clients are going through a journey like ZBB, um, there are two major aspects to consider, right? Uh, broadly. One is the strategy of ZBB that they want to implement, being clear about what is the outcome and the process in which they will apply the ZBB in the concept of their situation. But also from sustainability perspective that James was talking about, it is not just one-time effort and one-time exercise. So you need a set of tools that are able to be connected that will capture data from uh, span carry, for example, uh, that will pass the necessary information that can be used for controlling and understanding whether 
the ZBB intentions are being followed and if they're not followed, what are the deviations and being able to then drill down to detail to understand where deviations are coming from. So it's really important that when companies are going through this exercise, they're keeping these two aspects at the same time. One is understanding the ZBP side, strategy and implementation, but at the same time, having the technology that can be implemented at the same time so that you are able to sustain this on an ongoing basis, not just one-time effort. And it sounds like that repeatability, right, is one of those crucial aspects for that transformation of culture that this process is looking to do, right? And without that monitoring uh, phase of this process, you would go ahead, you go through all this trouble, set this process up, everyone would go about their year, and then you'd have to start from scratch the next year, right? I think it sounds like this control and monitoring phase helps this be a repeatable thing where the next year just gets easier and easier to be able to, to implement this, right? Absolutely, Alberto. And I actually want to hit on what you talk about with control and monitoring and connect it back to, you know, talking about there's different, there's a spectrum of ways to do this and some of the trends we're seeing. And one of the trends lately that I'm seeing is there are companies out there who actually don't necessarily want to go through the visibility, the value targeting, and even sometimes the zero-based budgeting process. And they skip straight to, I just want granular control and monitoring, right? So some companies, you know, they might not go full on ZBB, but they're really, really emphasizing getting this visibility in an ongoing automated and sustainable way. And so um, that's one trend I'd say that we're seeing more and more of is, is a bigger emphasis on this really good spend analytic reporting, both from a financial standpoint, as well as from an operational standpoint. And what I mean by that is some of the things Manoj was mentioning, which is financial reporting is one thing and understanding, you know, did I hit my budget or do I have a variance and where did that occur and what spend category did that occur? And, you know, another lens to put on is understanding why. And some of that operational data travel, for example, why did I miss my travel budget? You might have to go into your T&E system and understand how well am I doing on my compliance against policy? Am I following the number of you know, hotel nights I'm allotted? Am I booking my flights 21 days in advance if that's my policy? And having that operational reporting to understand the deviations and the financials is something we're seeing a lot of companies want to get their hands around. Yeah. I mean, to me, that that sounds like one of the key takeaways from this whole conversation because zero-based budgeting, right? When you're first introduced to it, it sounds like such a daunting task, like insurmountable, right? It's easy to look at what you spent last year and say, all right, this minus 5%, but to really start from scratch, it sounds like this mountain of a, of a goal. But I think that one, what we're saying is that if you have those correct platforms in in place and you're gathering the right data that this just continues to get easier and easier and it becomes becomes second nature right absolutely and so one of the things that i wanted to get a little bit better understanding of was you know with this great resignation upon us you have this employee retention is at the top of mind for a lot of of executives are are you able to gather the impact of zbb on employee sentiment and like what that experience is yeah you know i don't i don't know if um we've seen anything specific as part of the great resignation but it's always something you want to consider um, when you're implementing this, there's absolutely, you know, off the bat, sometimes a negative reaction to it, 
And I think a lot of that's just rooted in needing to be educated and understanding what it is and what it isn't. Because I think going back to one of the first things we talked about, most people, if they hear the word ZBB, will go and Google it. And a lot of the things you'll get back is cost cutting and some really negative language around it. So I think it's really important to, to kind of demystify it up front and explain to your entire employee base why you're doing it, what the benefit is going to be to the company, and in turn, what the end benefit is going to be to the employee. So I think there's absolutely, there's always going to be some noise whenever you're doing any kind of transformation, but it's just about how you communicate it uh, and get ahead of it from a change management strategy standpoint. Right. And I think that just goes back to to that buy-in, right, of getting that buy-in from uh, not only leadership, but the individuals that are managing these budgets, the individuals that are contributing to these budgets. You know, I, I think that having that right messaging makes all the difference. You know, if you're if you're talking about, hey, let's just have this this cost cutting haircut compared to, hey, let's take a analyzed approach to this. Let's really look at what we're spending money on, where we're going to make the biggest impact. And I think that if you have that right communication to employees, they'll see like, oh, okay, they really care about what's important. They're putting money where it matters, right? We're just not wastefully spending and cutting money everywhere. Yeah. And I think I'll add just one more thing to that, Alberto, in terms of you know the evolution of this process over the last, you know, even just five years, because ZBB isn't even anything new. It's been around, I think, since the 70s or 80s. But I think one of the things that's really improved from an employee experience standpoint is even when you know we started doing this heavily in the market, it was extremely human intensive. And 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 that was you know partly because of where technology was at the time. And even in the last five years, you know, with with S4 coming in from SAP and the universal ledger. And it's just a lot easier to get your hands on some of this data. And a lot of companies have done a lot of work around automating certain kinds of reporting. And so I think technology has also been a big driver of actually alleviating this process and making it a little bit more automated and, and taking a little bit of the burden off of the finance procurement and, and the employee base. Absolutely. And then, so with all that, how do you assess or gauge if it's working? What is that? What is that golden metric that you look for, uh, right? To to make sure that this is actually doing what is promised. Yeah, I think you know it's it's a great question, and there's definitely a lot of there's a lot of different ways to measure success. I think I think it's important to start out when you start this is to define the outcomes that you're trying to achieve, right? And I think you know putting kind of a value realization component on top of this that says you know, when we start this program, here's the outcomes we're trying to achieve. And we're going to create metrics around that that are measurable. And we're going to measure those. So I think, you know, in terms of what determines success for me, I think is after two years or three years, if they're still running this process and it isn't, and it's just, you know, it's part of second nature and it's part of the culture. I think that's what, you know, we would consider success in a lot of these programs. And, and frankly, you know, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen any of these that didn't actually result in both better resource allocation as well as, as actual PL savings. And so I think, um, you know, company growth and profitability growth is probably the best measure of success for these programs. Excellent. And so I know we covered a lot of information. So 
if we had to narrow it down to three to five key takeaways, what are three to five things that you would want listeners uh, to take away from this conversation today? Sure. So I think one goes back to my key point on the demystification, right? I think the one thing I want anyone who's not super familiar with ZBB or if it's a new concept to them is to understand that ZBB is not a cost-cutting measure. It's a, it's a management technique. It's a way to allocate resources to your business strategy. I think the second thing is that there's a spectrum, right? There's not a one-size-fits-all for zero-based concepts and zero-based management techniques, and any company can take a look at kind of the full spectrum of a, of a ZBX methodology and kind of pick and choose concepts that fit best for them and implement them. And there's absolutely a way to do that. And then third is technology absolutely does play a role in the sustainability of running a process like this and getting that ongoing visibility control and monitoring and understanding not just the financial root of your spend, but also the operational drivers is what's going to create the sustainable solution and sustainable savings ongoing and that sustainable, optimal resource allocation towards your strategy. Yeah, I'll add a couple of things to that from technology lens. It's really important that you have a technology that allows you to be able to implement with the degree of rigor that ZBB will be required to be implemented. So top-notch technology that has those capabilities are very important. So far as the HR system is concerned, such as SAP SuccessFactors, which is a cloud-based system, uh, such as uh, for talking about spend category, uh, the industrial leader is SAP Concur, and that is extremely robust, and uh, that can meet all the needs of capturing information, having the controls right up front in the beginning when the expenses are captured, passing on the data that will be uh, further analyzed once it goes to the uh, finance system. That is a critical thing to keep in mind from technology perspective. The second thing on the technology perspective is the timing uh, when these technologies are put together in conjunction with ZPP. If the ZBB is done and all this controlling and monitoring activities are left to be done again manually after uh, the first initial year, then likely the success that you're going to see is going to be reduced because you're going to have to have more effort, more project-based work from ZBB perspective and redo the whole thing. So the best thing to consider is to do the technology implementation along with ZBB so the benefit, A, can be realized in the first year itself in terms of savings and objectives that we have from ZBB, but also it can be sustainable. Sustainability is the most important factor here that allows you to reap the benefit in longer term and change the culture per se. That is great input, right? Yeah, making this process repeatable, sustainable is, is definitely a key to a successful implementation of ZBB or, or a process similar. Fantastic. So. Anything else you would all would like to add into this? Yeah, Alberto, and maybe we can um, insert this, but I was going to add a fourth kind of takeaway from this, and, and that's on the adoption. And, and what I mean by that is where we've seen the most success of these programs is when there's a really C-suite level, top-down sponsorship of moving towards a more con cost-conscious culture. Because I think a lot of times where we see it fail is if, if your senior leaders aren't bought in and they're not especially adopting the behaviors that they're expecting of their own employee base, that's where we a lot of times see it fail. Because if the employee base is being asked 
to give up some of their things that they love for the better, you know, the betterment of the entire company. And they don't see those same behaviors being reflected in their leadership, then it's going to cause a lot of tension. And that's where we see a lot of change management issues. So I think top-down sponsorship and then top-down behavior is absolutely critical to the success of, of this program being sustainable. Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great add-in, right? Leading by example is always going to be a, a great way to get buy-in from those users. I completely agree. And Alberto, um, to close it, I'll say thank you very much from our Accenture team, James and myself, uh, for having us here. And hopefully this conversation has been very useful to our listeners. Absolutely. I want to thank both of you uh, for being on today. Uh, I hope the listeners found this uh, very useful. I know I did. It was a great conversation, a lot of content, a lot of things to take away and think about. So again, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.